Hello and welcome to Where Do We Begin? Uh, my name's Alex Woodward, currently happily retired and friendly neighbourhood mortgage broker. I'm really looking forward to uh, this podcast. It's been a long time coming. Thanks for that, Alex, and hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Where Do We Begin? My name is Harper in the studio today with my co-host, Lockie. How are you, Lockie? I'm great, thanks, Harps, and it's great to see your face sitting across from me. Yeah, yeah, I'm very excited for this one. Who have we got on? I've got Alex Woodward, and this is a great story. Um, I've learned a lot from it in terms of um, remaining positive in tough, si- tough situations and about resilience. It's awesome to hear, and I think everybody's going to really enjoy it. Yeah, you know it's going to be an absolute belter every time we're in the studio here. It always produces the goods. But one quick note for you, the listener, especially if you are a new listener, every time that you notice throughout this podcast that you are enjoying it and you think it's a good podcast, you think it's a good episode, it's good content, this free service that we're giving you, that we make no money, it's completely independent, please think about how you can support the show. We already know that you know all the ways to support it. So if you can support it, we'd appreciate that so much. Lockie, should we just get into it now? I've said that. Let's dive in. All right, now this guest story is one of persistence, resilience, determination, and perseverance. And I've got to say, Lucky, I've been looking forward to this one and doing some serious study of my thesaurus in preparation for this one for a long, long time because I reckon we might have broken a world record for emails sent to each other before recording it. But anyway, I'm delighted to say we're welcoming onto the show today, Alex Woodward. How are you, Alex? Yeah, good. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Long time coming. Uh, it's an abs- it's an absolute pleasure. And, and speaking of perseverance, I think we all had to uh, persevere a bit. You know, football injuries, allergic reactions, but we're here now. And you know what they say, Alex, Trina Main, keep him keen, and we are real keen for this interview. No, I'm uh, I'm just as keen. So I'm, I'm glad you guys persevered over email, just just as I did. But um, no, it's a it's an honour to be a guest. So I'm pretty happy, mate. There were some plans to record this from the hospital ward, I've got to say, but uh, we're, we're in the studio. It's good to be back in the studio, first one since Liam Pickering. But anyway, Alex, we'll kind of get started, start where it all began, I guess, your early life. Uh, your dad's from Freo and your mum's Filipino, yeah, I believe, but you yeah. grew up around Melbourne. You're a Melbourne boy, so yeah, tell us a bit about your footy life early growing up. Yeah, so you've uh, hit the nail on the head there with some insights about my family. So yeah, dad's a WA boy through and through um, from Fremantle, grew up around that area. My mum's Filipino, so she's... Um, from overseas, obviously. So, um, but once uh, once they had their first child, which was me, um, they moved over to Melbourne um, and settled in li- nicely. And um, we found a, a home suburb around the Springvale Noble Park area. Um, and then, yeah, did my schooling through there, uh, Dingley as well. Um, primary school, majority of the time in Springvale, and then high school was at Mazenod College, which is in Mulgrave, which was just a bus ride away. So. I primarily grew up in Noble Park through my adolescence, um, and that's where my sporting career started as well with my junior footy. A lot of the uh, other sporting things that I did as well touched base on. Um, played a bit of basketball, baseball, that sort of stuff. I wasn't too good at them, picked up footy um, and ran with that. But, um, yeah, very much definition of a Melbourne Melbourne kid, probably southeast, and then, yeah, now living um, Bayside way. But that's a, that's a quick snapshot of, of why I'm probably a Victorian lad and... 
um, yeah, pretty happy to be so. No, we love that. And we love another person from the southeast. We love it down there. It's absolutely a beautiful spot. And Noble Park is an absolute football stronghold. A lot of talent coming out of there. But you mentioned that you played a couple of different sports, basketball, baseball, which I'm, in, which I'm interested in. Not too many play baseball, very, very American. But um, why football? What really caught your eye there with the sport? Yeah, so um, I, I did play quite a few sports. So I played ba- a little bit of basketball at school. Um, wasn't any good, so don't... don't uh, don't, look, don't recruit don't, you into our Wednesday night teams. Don't, don't look into that one too much. Um, and then I played a couple of years of baseball because so I found that, that that sport seemed really, you know, fun to watch just, you know, I suppose, on TV and that sort of stuff. But probably tennis and footy were the main two that I, I delved into and put a lot of time into and probably had to make the decision at 16. So I dropped tennis. Um, but football was primarily a, po- a passion of mine. Due to um, you know just the way that you brought up, especially in, in my years when I was younger, all your all your heroes and stuff tended to be on TV and they, they tended to wear a footy jersey. So um, even though I was a Fremantle supporter growing up, which you know, not not too many of them in Noble Park, but um, <laughs> always wanted to be um, out on the footy field growing up, and I'm very lucky that that came to um, to fruition. Yeah. Now. Skipping ahead a few years, I hear you've got a pretty interesting draft night story about how you found out you got drafted listening to a couple other podcasts. So do you want to go through that for us? It's a bit of a funny one. Yeah, it's, it's, it's nothing um, nothing special, but I think it'd be more common than not with, with a lot of players getting drafted in the later picks. But um, yeah, so oh, my, my draft night was very much up in the air. I had a lot of interviews with a lot of clubs, which was very flattering. I think my my draft camp was a, was a bit of a mixed bag, to be honest, if I was... Um, uh, looking into it a little bit with my testing results, but um, I just didn't know where where I was going to land, which clubs were really genuinely interested in. Um, and then I was I was lucky enough to to go at Hawthorne at pick fifty three. However, look, I, I pulled the pin at around pick forty, so <laughs> I went to bed. Um, Dad was probably yeah three three beers deep and <laughs> still still excited. Probably didn't know what pick it was. <laughs> Um, and then, yeah, he, he was the one in the lounge room um, yelling me to come back out and, and look at the screen with my little little head there next to the Hawthorne logo at pick 53. So um, very, very, very happy. Um, phone uh, definitely went off straight away with, with a lot of future teammates and, and schoolmates as well just hitting me up and, and making sure that they congratulate me first, which was um, a very special night in the scheme of things and, and something that I still hold dear to my heart. Yeah, that's an awesome story. And I think it's sort of like similar. Remember we had a Ryan Angwood on the show and I yep. think when he got drafted, he was having a chalky milk in the fridge, yeah. out from the fridge in the kitchen when he got drafted. But no, that's, that's an awesome story. And it's just funny that you weren't expecting it and you must have been so nervous by just winning. And how was your first few days at the club after getting drafted and that first preseason? Yeah, you're definitely right. I was very nervous prior to the draft, but I, I just knew that if um, – I was picked up by by any club that it was basically going to be a clean slate from there. So I'm very much, or was very much, I believe, still am, um, that you know the, the the pick that you get drafted at is very much just a number. So everyone you know starts on the same playing field once they enter the door um, as an 18 year old at a new footy club. So I just wanted to make a really good impression as a hard worker, wanting to learn, um, and, and I made sure that I did that right from day dot. I think so. Hopefully that was the impression that I gave, but um, I was very eager, very keen to learn. Um, didn't want to be too shy around the playing group. Yeah, and uh, you kind of have that first preseason um, in the all preseason training. You're going what pretty well, I hear, and then first preseason game, kind of bit of a disaster, I think, against the Giants in Launceston. First of a few ACLs, so that's just got to be heartbreaking in your in your first 
first game, not obviously not a like home delay season game, but first proper preseason game. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely heartbreaking because I, I suppose um, up until that point, as an eighteen-year-old, never really been exposed to a preseason properly. Um, and if I was being brutally honest, I don't think I, I um, applied myself too well at under-18s when it came to little things like gym. I just played footy, to be honest. Um, went out, had a crack, and then hopefully um, helped the team win when I was 18. So definitely um, was exposed to a lot more, which you know obviously impacted performance when it came to the AFL system. Um, but loved it, loved every bit of it, loved that it was my profession, something I got paid to do because I was very much passionate about AFL footy. So um, when I was 18, that first pre-season, yes, it was hard, but um, it was tapered to you know what, what I was exposed to as well, which was not very much leading up into it, um, but still attacked everything with, with a really good intensity and, and desire to get the most out of it. Luckily, luckily enough, was was picked to play, yeah, that, that first um, TL, oh, uh, NAB Cup game, sorry, um, and yeah, didn't didn't go too well. I did my first ACL in a tackle. I got tackled, sorry, um, five minutes into the game. But what I remember most was that I was lining up first centre bounce with with some pretty special players. So even though you know five minutes in I broke down, I still remember the feeling um, prior to the game. And then that first bounce, um, still very. Um, very grateful for the fact that I was picked. Yes, it didn't really go to plan, but I was still able to touch the footy and, and yeah, uh, um, get a taste of what, what it was like to play an AFL game, um, even though it was just a NAB Cup game. Yeah, mate, it's obviously horrible that you had to go through that injury, especially well, yeah, I guess early, but it's obvious that you must have done something right in pre-season to earn a NAB Cup game. I'm interested, though, like, did you have much of an inju- injury history before coming onto the AFL or during your junior years you were pretty much or you didn't have too many issues? Um I think under 16s, I did have a meniscus tear in my knee, which not related at all to the ACL tears. So that's that's something that I was I was really adamant about. And a lot of my um, scans throughout my ACL injuries show that my meniscus surgery is still the one that's intact. So <laughs> from 16, all these ACL surgeries were, um, I suppose, bad luck and and very much new injuries. Um, and yeah, something that I wasn't really prepared for. So that my injury history prior to all these ACL injuries were very much clean, I'd say. Um, no bone breaks, no soft tissues, nothing like that. So um, that's why when that first ACL injury came along, I didn't really know what had happened. So I, I kept playing for another five, ten minutes and then jogged off. Um, it was one of those innocuous ACL, ACL tears where I didn't find out till the Monday because um, it didn't hurt too much. It very much felt funny. Um, but I was also compensating for the fact that I tore ligaments in my ankle in that same tackle. So I think I was offsetted by that pain and then came off telling the trainers that, yeah, my knee feels a bit funny as well. And then they did some testing on that knee and that was probably the thing that ruled me out of the rest of the game. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we did a bit of reading of your blog and uh, I'll, I'll put a link to that in the show notes, uh, which people can Hopefully check out. Hopefully the grammar's oh. all right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. It's awesome. Yeah, yeah. It's really good stuff. So I encourage people to check it out. And I read in that that you kind of took on this uh, mentality of studying other midfields. You had your own kind of little diary of um, like notes to take on other midfields to adapt your game and you're just 18 years old so that's a pretty amazing mentality to have I know I would there's no way I'd have the maturity to do that uh, I'm 18 as well so like that mentality is just pretty amazing I think it was yeah it probably goes hand in hand with with the concept of how passionate I was with with the game um, I was very much a believer of being a student of the game even though I wasn't necessarily playing I still wanted to come back 
which is kind of a strange mindset to have at 18, but I wanted to come back better than what I was prior to the injury. Um, and by, by doing this logbook or, or a notebook of you know, um, studying a player each round in the AFL um, from the opposition team, highlighting their um, attributes, especially their their stronger side of their game and, and something that I could maybe adapt to my game moving forward. Look, I'm not not the perfect player, but if I found something that I really liked and something that you know made them an, an elite player, hopefully I could over over time um, adapt that to my game moving forward as well. So, look, it's probably not for everyone writing that notebook, but that's what I did, and, and it helped me um, you know, week in week out. Um, just I suppose I was in rehab every week, so it gave me something to do. And just quickly for people who might not know, what kind of player were you? I know you're starting at centre bounce in that game, but on ball, yeah. yeah? Yeah, very much a rover, ruck rover. So one that gets under the packs and um, you know works hard to get it out for, for my teammates. Yeah, I love that. And it's interesting how you're talking about how you're taking notes on each sort of player that you came up against because obviously as Harper touched on it a little bit before, you know, you've been writing a blog and you're sort of like, I guess I'm journaled like, your journey over the last couple of years, do you think that writing your thoughts down and what you were going through really helped you get through the rehabilitation? Because I think with like mental health and stuff like that, people are saying like like writing down your thoughts and feelings has really um, been beneficial for people that are going through tough times. Do you think that is something that really benefited you while going through the rehabilitation? Yeah, subconsciously, yeah. So so that blog page that I do now, look, I, I don't really do it too much. So I'm very occupied by work and other things, but it is very much a memoir and my, my sort of memories of, of what it was like going through rehab and, and my experiences playing in the AFL system. But subconsciously at 18, um, yeah, I'd say that um, it helped me get through rehab very much so because I was studying the game in an aspect or in a way that not too many 18-year-olds would. Um, and it definitely helped me become a better player as well. So subconsciously, yeah, it was probably helping my mental health now that I'm more aware about mental health and the impacts of, of writing things down or, or just speaking out loud um, rather than bottling things up. Um, yeah, I'd still very much do the same approach if I got injured and I was in the AFL system now. Um, I'd definitely, yeah, still write things down and be open with, with conversations as well. Yeah, I think this kind of whole thing of writing your thoughts down is – uh, especially kind of in the past, not so much now, but it's considered very girly, very feminine to do. So it's kind of good to challenge the notion of masculinity, I guess, and do the thing that's really going to actually improve your mental health, even though it might be, you might look not so macho, um, kind of writing your thoughts down. And like you said, your blog's really good and uh, that notebook you were taking is really good. Yeah, I think there's strength in being vulnerable. So if you let people in, they have a great understanding of what you're going through. In hindsight, um, you also... You know, give them the ability to understand what it's like to be on the other side of things as well. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm a mental health advocate. I'm definitely not perfect in every aspect, though. Um, but I'm a big believer in um, yeah supporting your mental health and making sure that that's at the forefront of your well being. Yeah, 100%. I think vulnerability is definitely encouraged a lot more now, especially over the last couple of years, and there's a lot more greater support. And I think what you're touching on, a bit, I think toxic masculinity is sort of, it's definitely decreasing and people are becoming more aware as they've realised the impact um, that males have and that they've got a lot of mental health issues. And I guess going back to your injuries, like something that I'm interested in about is like what is actually the rehabilitation like from an ACL? Because it's 12 months, and I think a lot of people, you see somebody get injured, you feel sorry for them, and then six months, 12 months later, they're back out on the field and you don't actually realize the mountain of work that has gone into you getting back out there it's all like oh they're back 
they're back on. So could you please like put it, give us a little bit of details of what yeah. actually goes into each one? Because I can imagine it is a mountain of work. Yeah, it is. It is a it is a mountain of work. Um, but it's you know I, I wouldn't be able to do it without a really good team behind me. So the medical staff, um, the rehab staff, strength and conditioning as well. So yes, they were challenging me, and I, I vice versa was challenging them as well. Obviously, having been through this injury so many times, it's always good to have variety because there is a lot of repetition in the rehab. Um, but yeah, once it's a lot of the unseen that probably doesn't get noticed, and, and it's only yourself that sort of um, memorizes just how hard you've been working um, behind the scenes. But once you're out there, like you said, yeah, the boys probably don't understand just how hard you've been working. But credit to Hawthorne, like they they definitely got around me and they understood the fact that you know not not only have I done this one, two, three four or five times, um, they understand uh, the amount of work that I did as well. So uh, I, I was pretty cheerful in the fact that once I was around the club, I didn't want to be, you know, um, too down or sorry for myself. And I didn't want people to feel sorry for me either. There's worse things in life. Um, and the fact that I was still around a, a really successful environment, a really successful group of guys, um, I didn't want to take away from the fact that um, I, was, I was in a lucky position in this game of things as well. Yeah, and... I know your second ACL, you were coming off a pretty good pre-season. Uh, you're in a match sim, I believe. And uh, second time around, I, it sounds like you were surrounded by like a really supportive bunch of guys, successful group, uh, like you were saying. So it's got to kind of – did you feel that you were in a kind of fortunate situation? Obviously not fortunate doing your ACL, but being at such a kind of supportive and elite environment where you've got the physios and the doctors and all this stuff that can check on you constantly? Definitely, definitely. I think Cawthorn um, at the time and still now are very much um, a leading organisation when it comes to rehab and, and their medical staff are very much um, working towards, you know, putting players back out on the track better than the better than what they were before. So I, I was very lucky in that sense. Um, yeah, my second ACL was a bit of a different one in this game of things. Um, compared to all my other ones, purely because I, I, I played on instinct in that um, match sim. So I, I didn't really uh, compensate for the fact that I was just coming off an ACL. So it was very much a learning experience for me, thinking that, you know, I was just your, your average player when really I needed to have the understanding that maybe my right knee was a little bit weaker than my left one, especially nine, nine ten months post surgery so to play with just free will like that was great because I did do a amount of work um, but I just needed to have a little bit of greater understanding that I probably shouldn't be doing some certain manoeuvres out on the field just yet but um, yeah all learning experience I was only 19 so I was, I was pretty eager to, to jump back in rehab once that happened and, and go again. Yeah I think we can completely understand how keen you would have been to get out there and it is Hawthorne is a great organisation and they were particularly that period and I'm sure that as you said they supported you a lot but was it difficult in the fact that throughout that time they were having so much success on field grand finals from 2012 to 2015 three premierships in a row and you constantly were missing out was that was it sort of was it ever hard to like feel up and about for your teammates given the fact that you couldn't get out there and play and experience that same success um I wouldn't say it was um Hard. I suppose there was a little bit of jealousy in the fact that I, I couldn't um, be out there and put my hand up. Uh, I was very much constrained to the fact that I was I was in rehab, so it wasn't really an opportunity for me to um, be out there with the twenty two on grand final day. But again, I, I revert back to the fact that I'm very much lucky to be a part of that group on the list um, during that dynasty. So. 
Um, sometimes I get asked the question, would you rather have played 100 so games um, elsewhere and miss out on, and, and not be injured and miss out on, on um, that dynasty period where Hawthorne were, were generating so much success? My answer to that usually is um, my, my apprenticeship at Hawthorne is probably second to none. So I'm pretty happy with, with the career that I had there, the games that I played and, and the time spent there as well. And, game, and the game is more than just, you know, how many games AFL football played. I'm sure the friendships and the relationships that you built at the time, the club and the skills and life skills that you learned is as beneficial as any, as it would be rewarding as it would be to be a 100-game AFL player. Absolutely, absolutely. I think the, the relationships built there during that time, and, and look, I, I still have really strong relationships with a lot of players and staff uh, post-career now. Um, very fortunate uh, to have spent that time there for sure. Yeah, what I'm really interested in, obviously you're a young guy, uh, like 18, 19, doing your first couple of ACLs and you spent far more time in rehab than you actually have out on the training track and out on the field. So uh, I feel like it would be pretty hard not to feel like uh, you're kind of not to the side and not fully part of the team because you're an onlooker basically uh, for your whole first few seasons. So do you, did you have that those kind of feelings going on in your head? Um, and then I wouldn't say so, no, especially early on. Uh, maybe later on when I did my third one, um, purely because I was a little bit over it and I had a, I had a couple of seasons where I was back playing footy. I didn't really want to be back in the rehab room. But my first couple of ones, I was, yeah, I had the mindset of, look, if you're coming into rehab, I'm there and good luck, basically. So I didn't want anyone else in the rehab group because I wanted them to be fit. I'd, I suppose, yeah, if I could set the standard there, I could sort of be a leader in that sort of space, even though I was 18, 19, 20. Um, yeah, make a bit of a hurt locker, so to speak. So, yeah, stay away from the rehab room. And, <laughs> um, you wouldn't have to do sessions with me or, or yeah. run with me out there and, and fight your way back. But yeah, I, I, I had fun with it and, and tried to create concepts in my mind just so I could get distracted from the fact that, yep, I've missed you know, 24 months of footy in a row. Um yeah, I think I was very much focused on what was on the horizon rather than yeah, being too down on myself on, on, on the present. So, yeah. That's a great attitude to have and that real positive attitude. And obviously, we'll, we'll speak about some positive stuff, don't you worry. And now coming to your, in 2014 and you make your AFL debut against the Sydney Swans, 72,000 would be a massive game. Would it be the first time Buddy was back at the MCG since he uh, left to the Swans? So that would have been a massive game for the year. And how, how was it? How was your debut like and what did it feel like to achieve that dream? Yeah, it was, it was good. It was good. I, I, felt, I felt so um, excited and, and just, uh, I suppose, a sense of relief a little bit, um, but more excited than anything because I think part of the unseen, which we touched on before, was the, the fact that I did have a whole team of people behind me, medical staff, um, strength and conditioning, but also my family and friends, like off-field as well. Um, a lot of support base that, that wanted to see me succeed. And, and this single game was almost like a, um, you know, a huge achievement in, in what I was aiming for. Um, so to, to fight my way back from two or oh, back-to-back ACLs when I, was, when I was quite young and then f- try and find some form at VFL and, and prove myself in the fact that I'm worthy of an AFL game, and then to be chosen for you know a game that was pretty much against arch rivals at the time in that era, um, in front of you know 70, 80,000. I was I was really excited, really honoured, and I didn't take it for granted. Look, I, I'll, I'll be honest in saying I didn't really have too much of an impact on the game. I didn't play too well, but 
Um, I was just happy to be out there and, and the boys got the win and I was able to get in the circle um, in the middle after the game. So, um, yeah, my old man and, and my mum and my sister were probably the happiest for me as well. <laughs> uh, I mean, to be fair, it's probably hard to get in the game when you come in as a sub. Like, <laughs> yeah, I don't think anyone's right. really liked that rule. But I'm, <laughs> I'm glad they scrapped that for a while. <laughs> now, now they've got the medical sub. So. Yeah, yeah exactly. I know. Paul, Paul Connor Downey, he made his debut as the medical oh, no. sub and didn't get on and hasn't been seen since. <laughs> Does that count? That's a yeah, it counts as a game. Yeah, even if you don't get on, counts as a game. Yeah, but Connor, I feel sorry for you, you. You were talking about being in the circle, singing the club song. Like that has just got to be like pure elation. Oh, absolutely. Being in that circle, that's got to yeah. be the most amazing feeling. Well, hey? and, and the thing is, like, like I touched on before, like Hawthorne were really great in in noticing the unseen as well, like the actual club and the players really got around you and, and wanted to to buy into the fact that they noticed you, you're working so hard. So. Um, I could actually see some players absolutely elated for me, regardless of the performance and and all that. Yes, we won, which was fantastic, but a lot were just genuinely happy with the fact that I was just out there and and got a game, which was nice. And there are pictures of your dad off to the side belting out the song as well. (laughs) I love that. It's got to be... I reckon he had maybe three, four views that night. <laughs> it's really special for you, but it'd be so special for him. Uh, yeah. Like kind of seeing you go through all this stuff, like raising you as a kid, obviously being this kid in love with footy um, and then going through all the hard times you did and then getting to this kind of uh, amazing point, like the pinnacle of really of your career so far. Absolutely. absolutely. And like I said, ACL that first time was just a foreign sort of – uh, acronym or, or you know, injury <laughs> to, to us, so we didn't know what it was. And then once we re- we realised it was you know a ten to twelve month injury, uh, probably more twelve for, for an eighteen year old. Um, and then to do it again at nineteen, so I had to call dad straight away. I couldn't even hold myself together, so I gave my phone to Hodgie and he, he explained what had happened, and which was you know pretty daunting for him, but yeah. he managed it really well. And and dad understood this time just how hard the injury would be the second time around, but I was pretty optimistic anyway, which was, I suppose, blind passion at the time. <laughs> um, but, yeah, uh, Dad, Dad was really, really excited because I was able to just string a few games at Box Hill without any injuries, so then he became calm. Same with Mum as well, just became calm and comfortable with the fact that, yep, okay, he's back. Um, and then once, um, yeah, got the call for, for an AFL game, yeah, they were the first ones to be notified as well so um yeah i think they they were probably just as excited as i was did they do the old social media team where they call <laughs> up the video you calling up your old man and mom yeah. and <laughs> no it was um yeah i suppose social media was a little bit different back then we didn't quite have those live phone call oh, things no. back i feel like then. it's a bit but, of a new thing but it was yeah. more of a it was almost more of a feature yeah like three parts um <laughs> oh, did really? an interview with <laughs> the alex woodward Haw- story yeah hawthorne yeah. media and then um, jumper presentation and then, yeah, interview after the game. So um, it was nice uh, and I really appreciate that Hawthorne um, really put a bit of time into um, the story behind the first game as well. That's, mm. That sounds really special and you played one more, you played the next week, is that correct? Yeah, played the next week um, and, look, maybe a bit better of a performance but I was still adjusting to the to the game. Oh, I suppose, yeah, I wish I had more opportunity. Yeah. But I was understanding of the fact that, look, Hawthorne weren't really messing around. They were in a dynasty period leading up to finals and I just needed to have a bit more impact um, during my my games that I was given and and I didn't really 
um, have that impact. Yes, I took the game with, with both hands and, and tried my best, but um, like I said, I just need to adjust a bit more and that comes with time. I suppose it's very rare and only the really special players tend to pick up the game from, from their first game and, and, and take it and run with it really um, and dominate and have an impact on the game. But um, unfortunately, I couldn't do that. And, but that's all right. I was back to Box Hill and, and tried to have a crack there. Yeah, he more than had to crack you on the list in medal in 2014, which is, uh, listeners you don't know. We best and fairest. Yeah, like the brown yeah. of the VFL, basically. Uh, and off, then, eight, off eight games? J, JJ Liston, that's what it is. JJ. <laughs> <laughs> He's got the medal in the back pocket. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that, was a, that was a nice surprise. Um, again, reward for effort, though, so wasn't expecting that. I think I got a late invite as well, so I wasn't really sure what was going on. I thought it was a bit of a joke, so... Yeah, <laughs> and I'm going for a free, free meal, and next minute I have to do a speech. Lucky you rocked up. Hey, <laughs> yeah. you, you got the call up for uh, a Collingwood game in JLT in 2015. But on your blog, you kind of said that nerves got the better of you a bit, and yeah. you probably didn't get much of a look in at the AFL side from there after that. So, have you, have you got any kind of things that you would have changed in your mentality or regrets from that game yeah. and the build up? I guess. I just knew that game that was probably a really good opportunity because it was just a, a lot of young boys that were playing, very similar to a Box Hill side, to be honest, um, versus a, a really experienced Collingwood side. So um, it was an opportunity there, opportunity lost, and something that I admitted. Um, but, you know, another challenge that I was very much ready to face. I wouldn't be surprised if the, the coaches were a little bit turned off because I, I just didn't offer anything really substantial in that game. So back to the drawing board for me and I need to find some form and, and evolve my game in, in a way that really appealed to the AFL coaches more than just a, a rover that didn't really um, utilise his possessions too well. So um, I did that. I, I tried to have more of an impact playing forward as the VFL season went on. Um, but no real regrets. Otherwise, I wouldn't have developed into the player person that I am now. So, um, not no longer a player, but um, still, I, I like to think that I'm a pretty good person. So, all those experiences, all, all those challenges, um, hold me in good stead. I think even then, with what you're saying, then I think something that throughout the whole interview, that's something I, I've just been able to pick up is you, you're not bitter at all. You have a really positive attitude, and for a lot of people in your situation, they'd find that really, really hard to do. I guess, how, how do you find? fine to always be optimistic to really and really be positive because it's obviously it'd rub off on other people because it just makes me feel that whenever <laughs> something goes hard with me I want to be more positive with like dealing with adversity yeah which is awesome yeah I think um well I'll probably have to give my parents a shout out for that one my, my old man was very much a hard worker same as my mum as well so um look we we tend to find the silver lining in things and the, the opportunities um in pretty tough situations, so and it's quite, I think it's easy to to feel down and focus on the negatives, but it's normal as well. So I embraced it. Um, it was just more of a fact of all right, well, what can I get out of this situation, and how can I better myself? Um, and yeah, I, I still use that focal point with my everyday living, with my work now. Um, I do have my moments where I need to just take a breath and, and um, just remind myself that I'm human, and um, and, and that's okay. So um, look, I'm. If I'm a if I'm a beacon for positivity, then fantastic. But yeah, I'm also, I'm also a, a human as well, and I have my negative times. But it's just a matter of how you deal with them and, and how you can yeah you know, get something out of it. Yeah, you've got this amazing mentality, and I guess it wouldn't be bitterness. But was there ever a sense, or looking back on it now, is there ever a sense of kind of what could have been if you weren't at Hawthorne with like the best side in the comp, basically your whole career with this amazing midfield? Instead, you were at a side where once you got into the AFL team, you could actually string a f- 
uh, a few uh, games together without kind of getting pushed out by more experienced players? Yeah, it's, I think it's pretty natural to, to think um, the what if at times, everyday living, but I suppose in... In this footy, um, in in this footy case, footy career case, um, yeah, I sometimes think about what if I got drafted elsewhere. What if these injuries didn't happen? But again, um, I mentioned the apprenticeship. Well, look, I was very lucky to learn under Sam Mitchell, um, Jordan Lewis, Brad Saul, Luke Hodge, you know, Sean Burgoyne. They, these type of players are, are champions of our games, Hall of Famers, really. Um, would I have gotten that opportunity elsewhere? Probably not. Um, would I have been, you know, the player that performed at a really good level at VFL, you know, JJ List and all that sort of stuff? Probably not as well. So, um, yep, I, I might have missed out on on playing quite a few AFL games if I took that path. But also, I focus on the on the fact that I was very lucky to to be on the path. Um, injuries and, and all that aside, um, to be on that Hawthorne path as well, I think uh, I, I would have embraced. Um, that that career path a lot more. Okay, so um, 2015, third ACL, and then were you delisted at the end of 2016 or 17? Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, so that, that third ACL was tough because I felt like I was evolving as a player, as I touched on. I needed to find yeah. other ways to utilise my skills and put my name up in front of the coaches and I was trying – actually starting to play some impactful footy in a way that I was kicking goals at VFL level, something they'd never seen before. So my, my midfield and forward time was split 50-50 um, and it was just offering a lot more to, you know, the number 39, which I wore at the time, rather than, okay, he's basically got to be a midfielder in our team. Well, now I can play a little bit of forward. Unfortunately, I broke down um, at Coburg, which is... <laughs> I did say that the where, house before. Yeah, like, where we are. It's about venturing back here. That's why it took so long for me. <laughs> Uh, um, Is there any kind of trauma associated with the word Coburg no, or no, anything in your head? No. Not at all. Um, but yeah, that, that was just unlucky. I, I think uh, I got pushed after after I kicked and my foot just got stuck in the ground. So one of those things that happens a hundred times in footy and it just happened to me at the wrong time, wrong spot on the field. So um, yeah, that, that third ACL was pretty tough. And, and then uh, I got... R- re-rookied at the end of that season just so that uh, Hawthorne could create another um, uh, a spot on the list there, um, which was fine. It was basically getting demoted onto a rookie <laughs> list, which is okay. I was going to be out for 10 to 12 months, so it didn't really matter. Um, but then I got back 2016 July, um, tore my plantar fascia in my right foot. Oh, no. So, yeah, everything was was not going to plan there, but again, which was, you know, funnily enough, look, if you put enough time into it and if you believe it enough, I was, I came back almost just as good, if not better, um, after that third Rico in the midfield, because I just had a greater understanding, one of my body, so recovery, all that sort of stuff. Um, two, I'd spent a few time, a few years in the system already, um, and I understood what sort of player I wanted to be as well. So, when I came back, I, I very much picked up where I left off, and then um, yeah, I, I was parked for the rest of the season because I had a, a bit of an incident at Sandringham where I, I just I think clashed knees with someone. So it was only a couple of games left in the season, so there was no point. But unfortunately, um, as you guys would understand, AFL is very much a business, so. If you were to think about it, a year and a half of footy um, for five years on the list probably isn't a great return on an investment. So I understood that, but um, hopefully, well, I think I did leave a lasting impression at Hawthorne in a good sense. So once um, yeah, the call was made to be delisted, it was very amicable. There was a lot of hugs and yeah, really good understanding. 
It's really amazing how many people uh, that I've spoken to know your name, despite just playing two games. Alex Woodward, oh, he's that guy with like the amazing story of resilience uh, because like most people wouldn't know many two gamers, but you, uh, lots and lots of people know you uh, because of this resilient story. So it's pretty amazing, I reckon. Yeah, like I said, it's good that I've left a lasting impression. Again, would I have left that impression if I was elsewhere, played 90 games? Maybe not. Uh, and it's a lot of those experiences, being in rehab, having those injuries, you know, needing to fight back um, have held me in good stead with everyday living as well. So I'll take the same approach with how I um, take each day with how I work and um, hopefully, yeah, it can um, impact others around me as well. So we'll jump ahead to 2018 and you get the call to be the runner at Collingwood and I think you've spoken about it a little bit about your blo- on your blog and how it's really reinvigorated your love of the game. Tell us how much it meant to you to be step out into an AFL field again, even just as the runner, not as a player. Huge yeah. club too. Yeah, amazing. So, um, yeah, my time at Collingwood was, was a little bit different. So I obviously got delisted uh, and then chose Collingwood VFL 2017. Lasted only a couple of rounds and had another fourth Rico. So I very much lost my love for the game. And it was probably at that point where, you know, the beacon of positivity was, was lost a little bit. <laughs> I was a bit sick of it. Uh, and I just needed to reset very much so. So I, I took a different approach to that rehab where returning to footy wasn't a focal point, wasn't a, wasn't a focus at all. It was more or less I wanted to go to Canada and snowboard. So I, for, for the first six months of my rehab, that was um, the goal. Uh, yeah, that was the goal. So I, I said I'd, I'd buy into rehab at VFL level, which is very different because you've got to work a nine-to-five and then do rehab after. Um, and, yeah, it was just focusing on, on balance and that sort of stuff because I wanted to snowboard. I really didn't care about footy. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, after I got back from Canada, successful snowboarding trip, which was fantastic. I was on my ass half the time, but then... <laughs> first time? Yeah, first time, then learnt how to do it, and then I was half decent at it, which was great. Um, and then, yeah, got got back, uh, got this offer from the Collingwood AFL team, which I said yes to in an absolute heartbeat, um, being the runner. I, I felt like it was the second closest thing to playing uh, an AFL game every week so yeah I couldn't necessarily have a kick but um, I was also recovering from my fourth ACL anyway so look a lot of a lot of kilometres in the legs being out there was going to help my communication leadership skills as well because I was still part of the VFL team um, and then yeah just to enjoy myself being out on an AFL field you know once upon a time felt so distant being in rehab for so long um, then being delisted um, I was very, very grateful for the opportunity and, yeah, I developed my love for the game again. Just being out there, look, 2018 was really successful for Collingwood um, now that we compare the seasons in terms of how, how they've gone before that and even after that now. I'm really grateful that I was a part of that um, and the boys were having fun and I was having just as much fun as well. Go as far as to say before Alex and after Alex, you know, making grand with Alex as runner and... Uh, <laughs> if you do the maths, I'm, I'm sure people will focus on other things, but uh, yeah, I was, I was happy to be a part of that season. Nerves going into that grand final, you're not playing, but on the field, make like uh, having kind of big influence on the game. Uh, yeah. Nerves going into it? Yeah, heaps of nerves, heaps of nerves. And I was... I was Embracing it though because I, I just loved it and I, I'd been a part of grand finals before but I was in the stands so I've sort of been there 
but not definitely not out on the field, um, but had an understanding of what the players would be like in the lead up, um, the nerves that they would probably be feeling as well. Um, but yeah, look, I, I felt like I did my running job really, really well throughout the throughout that season. Then I returned to playing VFL, played some really strong footy there. Um, and then, yeah, got the call up for the final series and, and lucky, luckily enough, Collingwood went through to the grand final. Look, I had had a little incident there, but that was, yeah, that was pretty um, rare and, and something that I couldn't really help. And um, look, it's, it's something I wasn't prepared for either. So um, everything happens for a reason. But again, it was probably one of those challenges that makes me a better person today. Um, that was probably the heart, that, that moment, obviously with the Jaden Stevenson thing was, and the kick um, inside or oh, defensive 50, um, yeah, it was probably one of the hardest things I've ha- had to endure in my footy career, which was funny because I wasn't in a playing sense at all. I think one of the most iconic images from that grand final had to be Bucks consoling you out, out of the game. I think that sort of says the quality of person he is and helping you out in that time of need. And it's even like just emotional thinking about it and, it must have just been so tough, the amount of stuff, like online people tr- like hiding behind their phones, their keyboard. It was just horrible what you had yeah, to endure. Yeah, and I think, um, yeah, we talk about mental health and, and the impact of that a lot these days. And look, I probably wasn't prepared for the onslaught afterwards. Yeah. It was, look, I don't think anybody could. Yeah, I don't, look, I didn't do it on purpose and you know, I didn't know it was going to happen. I, I thought I positioned myself quite well on the ground to, to del- deliver the messages that I needed to do. Didn't think that kick was going to come in board. But look, footy is a really unpredictable game. It was just unfortunate that I was in that position. Um, but yeah, the onslaught was, was very much immediate afterwards. And um, I think even the commentary during the game might have been um, – a little tough as well because, um, yeah, I think your first initial instinct or, or reaction would always be, yep, that's been impacted by the runner and then you do the maths, they've lost by, you know, four or five points and what ifs have start to happen and, look, I can understand people emotionally reacting and, and wanting an outlet. Um, but, yeah, I, I think I've mentioned before the um, the impact of that was it was quite huge and, no one could make me feel worse than myself at the time. So yeah. for people to pile on and kick me whilst I was down was, was a little bit hard. And look, it took me a few weeks, but um, I'm a better person for it now. And, and now that I've openly spoken about it as well on, on open mic, I think that gave a lot of people a really good insight into, hang on, this guy is human, which I touched on before. And, um, you know, he's, he's just not a subject in, in, a, in a pink jumper running around trying to stuff up a footy game um I was just as much a part of that team as as the coaches as the players and and something that I really embraced and was passionate about so I was I was just more disappointed on the fact that we lost um and then obviously a lot of people blame me as well Mm, and this might be a bit of a silly question obviously you're not like a full-time runner it's not your day job so do, do you have any coaching about like where to be or is it just like you like get away from the ball, don't get in the way is, or yeah. do you kind of receive certain positions to be in from yeah, more so qualified runners maybe? That's a, that's a really good question. I, I felt like being a runner was, you know, I, I did it for a few rounds and and throughout the final series that season, um, there's no guideline on how to run, you know what I mean? But yeah. there is there is a guideline on on staying away from the footy and, and timing and and um just making sure that you're you're on and off the field in a really good 
efficient way. Um, but yeah, like I said, I thought I was in a pretty good position to deliver a message that I needed to, um, and I just wasn't ready for what was to happen. And I guess now going forward after that, so in 2019, unfortunately, again, you're starting to play some solid footy for Collingwood. You were the captain of their VFL team and go go down again with another fifth ACL, which is the final one. And so now you're done with footy. You're not playing anymore. What, what are you doing in 2021? You sa- said you're busy with your business. You're doing a little bit of coaching. I'm interested to catch up with what you're doing now. Yeah, yeah. I think, um, yeah, that 2019 season with the Collingwood VFL was, was a flattering one. I'd never been a captain of a, of a VFL team, was captain of a TAC team, but obviously VFL, you're dealing with men and um, with ambitions and, and really, really high goals of players wanting to be drafted, wanting to win VFL premierships, so on and so forth. Um, really happy with how my career ended, so to speak, even though I went down with another ACL injury. It was a it was a fitting way to go out in, the, in a way that, um, you know, also was captain of that VFL team of the year, which is really nice and, and something that I hang my hat on um, quite proudly. Um, but I put everything into that season. I wasn't a perfect captain, um, but I tried to um, use the skills that I was developing throughout my AFL, VFL career and, and had developed, sorry, with the exposure to so many great players and so many great environments and um, renowned footy clubs. I was pretty lucky to, to have that mantle as the VFL captain and look to retire on a fifth ACL. It was funny in a way, but I was very much um, done with, with playing footy if that was the case. And um, I wanted to move on to, to bigger and better things outside of footy. I'd, I'd started a, a mortgage broking business and look, I, I help people buy, buy homes and, and that's something. Um, Achieve their dreams. Exactly right. So I like to think I'm a pretty empathetic person, um, really relatable and, and easy to approach too. So um, if I can help them achieve that goal, um, I'll, I'll, I'm pretty happy with, with how my life's going. So um, there's worse things than five ACLs, but um, I'm happy with where I stand and the business is going well. Look, it's it's still in, in its infancy, but, but trending upwards, which is nice. Yeah, that's great, man. But uh, like oh, I wish we could talk to you about some more stuff. I've got one little final question before we get to our fun last little yeah. segment. It's a question we always ask uh, the guests we have. Do you have a life philosophy that's kind of or mantra or quote or anything that kind of guides you and the decisions you make throughout your life? Obviously, uh, so many kind of um, uh, ups and downs throughout your life. Has you got a life philosophy that's guided you through um, that? Yeah, I suppose if we're um, harping on about the positivity, um, I was always a big believer in, in life having moments of impact and, and obviously I've had that in, in more ways than one and so has everyone else and look, it, it develops you into the person that you are today um, and then it's just a matter of finding the silver lining in in tough situations. Um, there's always a way out or there's always a, a better option, so... Um, they're, they're sort of things that I focus on and look if, if anyone else wants to um, take that then fantastic but um, yeah I'm, I'm sort of going to always have that mantra to live by yeah yeah that's um, great stuff I hope lots of people can take that on board listening at home or wherever they're listening but now Lockie for our final segment Lockie loves this bit uh, yeah, I, I don't know if I do he's, he's very excited I, I can say I don't know if I do I haven't got a great record in the quiz but <laughs> the quiz <laughs> the quiz okay now sorry Lockie's give it away what it is of course it's a quiz so I'm pitting uh, you Lockie against you Alex so I've got five questions all of them have something that's kind of got a connection to you and your career in yeah. it. 
Very loosely. Yeah, very, very, very loosely. Uh, So it's a bit of general knowledge, kind of, but uh, your name's your buzzer, so just buzz in with Alex or Lockie. And, of course, we'll start with question one. Uh, So... Uh, on June 11, 2009, uh, I did this a while ago. Can't actually remember how June 11 relates to your career. But anyway, it's some kind of June 11. It's your birthday. It's <laughs> my birthday. It's your birthday. <laughs> there you go. It's your birthday. Okay. June 11, 2009, uh, the WHO, World Health Organization, declared what illness to be a global pandemic? Lucky. Lucky. Swan for you. Spot on. I'm <laughs> <laughs> pretty happy that I didn't get that right. <laughs> um, yeah. I remember On that, my birthday. Okay. Yeah. Happy birthday, 2009. Exactly. Swan flu. 16 years old. Congratulations. <laughs> I, I uh, the best birthday present I ever got was uh, Danger Signed on at Geelong in 2015. Yeah. Um, it was the first uh, global pandemic declared in over 14 years. Ooh. So. Of course, we've had uh, there you go. Some more since then. <laughs> Everyone will probably know about. Vaccine for that one. What, what were you doing uh, on uh, for your birthday in two thousand nine? What what would that have been? Sixteenth. Oh, um, actually, do I think I was I was interstate um, nationals, Ooh, which was yeah. good. There and then go. yeah, obviously read the news that there was one for that. Eventful day. Hey. Uh, anyway, uh, we'll go to question two. Ben Stiller voiced which character in the Madagascar film series? Alex. Alex Lyon. <laughs> Spot on. Oh, oh. <laughs> <Dang>. <laughs> oh. I'm a movie person. I love, I love movies. Oh, I love Mad- Madagascar. Good, good flip. Yeah, we love it. Uh, now, uh, for question three. So, of course, uh, going to your last name, uh, first syllable of your last name, of course, Wood. So, I've got a question about Wood. Oh, here we go. Uh, so, <laughs> gathering data from its network of 500 member organisations. Botanical Gardens Conversation International compiled a list of the world's tree species. This is multiple choice. According to their list, how many species of trees are there in the world? Is it A, oh. 665, B, 6,065, C, 60,065, or D, 600,065? Well, key, 600,000? It's incorrect. Alex. Oh, no. C, I reckon. 60,065 is absolutely spot on. Oh, wow. I knew you. I know my wood. <laughs> he knows his way around, Bunny. He knows yeah, yeah, exactly. He'd be good mates with Denver Granger Barris, I think. Uh, uh, we'll go to question four. So, uh, of course, your birthday, June 11. I know that now. I've remembered that. Uh, so, uh, on your exact birthday, uh, June 11, 1993, it was round 10 of the AFL season. North Melbourne were on top of the ladder. So, which 22-year-old, who is still involved in the game, actually, had 36 goals at that time for North and led their end-of-season goal-kicking with 75 goals? Welkie, in 1992? Uh, 93. 93. 93. And still involved in the AFL? Still involved in the AFL in some form. It's, oh, when was uh, Wayne Carey? Yeah. Wayne Carey? be Wayne, wouldn't it? Who, who wants to go with Wayne Carey? Which one of you? Go Lockie. Lockie? Wayne Carey? Yeah. Yeah. Incorrect. Oh, no. Who is it? Corey McKenna. Oh, yeah. Alex has got a guess. 1993. And what was the last bit of that question again? 30 uh, they, goals at the time? 75 goals by the end of the season, 36 goals at the time. Oh. Wasn't, uh, no. Nah, North had lots of big goal kickers this year. Um, Longmuir. I'll give it to you. John Longmire. Longmire. Yeah, sorry. yeah I'll give it to you. <laughs> Not just Longmire, the free coach. John Longmire, the Sydney coach. So he's gone. I told you I was three one up. Uh, my old man was from Freo. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> question Freo five. Alex is two points up, but Lockie's still got a chance because question five is a who am I question. Who am I? 
going to go down from five points all the way down to one point with a series of clues all leading to who I am. And, of course, uh, once you get it wrong, uh, you can't buzz in again until the other person gets it wrong. So uh, we'll start with a five-point clue. Let's do it. I was born on the 26th of July 1980, which was exactly 34 years before your debut, in a nation of 4.9 million people. Born in 1980, nation of 4.9 million people. I'll move it on. That narrows it down. Yeah. <laughs> move it on to the four-point clue. The daughter of a police officer and school cook, I took six weeks off work after giving birth to my own daughter. Mate, nah. Move it on? Okay. Yes. So three points. Lockie's got to get here to win it outright. Come I've been on. to over 19 countries in my life and after being elected president of the International Union of Socialist Youth in early 2008, spent time in places such as Jordan, Israel, Algeria and China. Mate, you've lost me when I heard she's you went. I've got a no, trotter. I've got no idea. <laughs> this is a tough one. Yeah. <laughs> like it. It's I can move to two points. So move to can, two points. I'll just equalise it. We'll go to a tiebreaker. Yeah, uh, a quick tiebreaker if you get it here. Going to OT. For two points. I graduated the, uh, from the University of Waikato in 2001 with a Bachelor of Communication. Lockheed. It would have to be uh, Jacinta Ardern. He's got it. <laughs> well hey, can, can confirm Jacinta Ardern came from the same town as my mum. There you, oh. there you go. Little Moran's little <laughs> yeah, there it is. Of like you, should, you should have got it at five points then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we'll get her on the podcast. It's three all. We're going to have to go to a tiebreaker. This is only the second or third time this has happened. Ever. Got to think, got to think of a tiebreaker question. So um, Maybe not another who am I. Uh, <laughs> I struggle, struggle with that um, one. <laughs> only person from New Zealand I can name, I reckon. Her, her or Brendan McCullum. And I thought Brendan McCullum probably hasn't. Yeah. Probably, <laughs> probably doesn't give birth to his own child. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> eliminates him. Okay, I'll yeah. try to find something. I haven't got anything prepared, which... Uh, okay, let's you, give birth to her own child, not like, <laughs> like gave birth to her own child. Like, as, what else would it be? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not very much. <laughs> uh, do a... Oh, I've, got, I've got one. I'm just looking up what the answer is to it. Uh, if you don't know, I won't. <laughs> I'm just going to do a closest to the pin so someone has to get it. Uh, if this website loads, sorry guys, we'll cut this out. It's not great podcasting content. Let's do how old are your vans? <laughs> closest to the pin. Yeah. Um, how old are your vans? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so uh, 11th of June, 1993, your birthday, of course. So just closest to the pin, great day, monumental day. Uh, what was the population of the world in uh, on the 11th of June, 1993? I think you've done one like this before. I think I've done the current population, but I haven't done this exact one. Oh. Well, current population is, what, over 4 billion currently? He can't help. It's the closest oh. to the pin, so you both yeah, get a shot. Yeah. Um, so maybe, let's say... 2.2. 2. 2. The population, I reckon 7 billion. So I just lock in 7 billion. It might have gone up a bit more from there. Oh, oh my Lockie's off. closest because it's 5.4 oh, billion. Oh. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, and you're right. It is 7 billion. So Lockie, another comeback. We'll just Lockie. really <laughs> ram it up last year. <laughs> <laughs> last few decades, it just ran it up. Yeah. <laughs> Lockie's won it. Another great comeback from you. Well, well done, mate. Uh, it's one, four, three. Very good stuff. <laughs> Round of applause. Great achievement. Uh, anything else, Lockie, for him before we let him go? Just, 
Thanks so much for coming on, Alex. It was an absolute pleasure. Well worth the wait. Uh, easy. Thanks, guys. Loved it. Thanks so much for that, Alex. I got a lot out of that, and I'm sure our listeners too. It was an absolutely unbelievable story. And just quickly, we'll uh, we'll plug Alex's business, which is Fortitude Finance, helping deal with home loans, investment loans, and debt consolidation. Uh, Harps, do you have anything else to add? Uh, yeah, uh, guys, go check him out. If you're interested in any of the stuff that Lockie mentioned, check him out. Uh, check Alex out at morefortitude.com, and that's Fortitude with the number four. So that's M O R E. The number four, T-I-T-U-D-E dot com. Check him out. Fortitude Finance, Alex Woodward. Great business. And of course, we'd just like to thank our listeners for sticking around. We'll have another episode next week and we actually love and appreciate your support. Yeah, love it. Love Alex for coming on. It's really uh, great to hear his story. I uh, hope you guys all enjoyed it as well. In the meantime, go give us a review on Podchase or Apple Podcasts or wherever you get the podcast. Five stars, please, would be very nice. Uh, so, yeah, that'll be very, very grateful for that. Check us out on social media, WDWB Pod on Instagram and Twitter. And where do we begin? On Facebook, uh, new episode next Monday. It'll be good. Lockie, anything else? No, just like to say thanks to Alex and thanks to the listeners again. Thank you for listening. See you next week.